Scripture reading for this morning's sermon is Micah chapter 3 through 5. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and loved the evil, who tear the skin off from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, and who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones into pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you, without vision, and darkness to you, without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced. The diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might. To declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice, and who make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is it not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house of wooded height. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall, he shall judge them between many peoples. He shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord has, of hosts has spoken." For all of the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion and his, from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished, that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. 
you shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze on Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. For I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. And you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the mighty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads into our palaces, then we will rise against him, seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears into pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and I will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all of your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the works of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. All right, good morning. Kids, where are you guys at this morning? Can you raise your hands up? All righty. So if you're new here, um, on the first and third Sunday of each month, we have kind of kids in here with us in the service because we believe it's really important for kids to learn what it's like to be a member of the church because that's what we want them to be someday. On the second and fourth Sunday, they go out of this room to do that in a thing we call Kids Connect where they're, they're learning what it's like to be a functional member of the body of Christ with, with other kids. Um, and so today, kids, raise your hands up again. Sorry, I forgot where you're at. All right. So my first question for you is, it's kind of cold outside. Did anybody wear a coat today? Evie? All right. So let's say I saw Evie walking into church today, and I said, Evie, that is one cool coat. What do I mean? 
What do you think, Evie? This looks nice, right? Maybe like it's pretty awesome. But I said it was cool. Doesn't cool mean that it's like cold? Okay, okay. What if I said, you know, don't drink that drink too fast. You might get a brain freeze. It's pretty cool. Then what do I mean? No one? Do I mean that it's awesome or it's neat? Or do I mean it's cold? It's cold, right? So sometimes the word cool means cold. Sometimes it means awesome coat. All right, what if I went to your house and I saw your bike and I said, man, that's a sweet bike. Does that mean I'm going to go up to it and like lick it thinking it's candy? No. But what if there was a cake and I was like, this is pretty sweet cake. There it could mean both, right? There it could mean awesome or sweet and delicious. The reason why I'm asking you these questions and we're talking about these words is because in our passage today, there are these, these leaders, these, these rulers of Israel, of God's people, and like prophets and priests who, when they used words, they used them to mean things they didn't mean, but, but not like sweet or cool, things like good and evil. They said things that were good uh, were evil, and things that were evil were good. And like, that's, that's not okay, right? That's bad. Because who, who gets to decide what's good and evil? Do we get to decide that? Who gets to decide? God, right? And so these leaders of God's people, they were supposed to tell the people what God said, but instead they were, they were distorting that. They were saying what they wanted to say instead of what God wanted to say. And because of that, they're, they're judged and they're condemned for that. Um, so kids, I would encourage you to go home and ask your parents about what they learned from today's passage about these, these unjust, these bad rulers in Israel and kind of what happens to God's people as a result of them and also the, the good news that comes in our passage today too. So let's pray and then we'll get into Micah 3 through 5 this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a good father and that you tell us as your people what what you desire from us, what you want from us, that you instruct us about about what is good and what is evil uh, because you know what's best for us. We pray this morning that as we we look at your word, as we look at Micah 3 through 5, that we would we would heed the warning you give to your people. And also that we would rest in the good news that you, uh, for them, were sending a redeemer and for us have sent a redeemer in Jesus. That we would just marvel at the grace that you've shown to your people generation after generation that you continue to show to us. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf, that you came to, to bring your people back, to, to restore us, to redeem us, to, to free us uh, from uh, the tyranny of our enemies. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
So before Easter, Sean took us through Micah 1 and 2, and we saw there that uh, judgment is announced against both Israel and Judah is is mostly bad news, but there's a, a little bit of good news at the end. And then we took a break for Easter, uh, and then, you know, there's nothing like a couple verses about cannibalism to just kind of jolt us right back to the minor prophets. And so today, it's, it's, it's kind of more of the same, right? There's, there's mostly bad news with, with a little bit of good news mixed in. And so in this passage, what we're going to see is we're going to see these, these unjust rulers denounced for their, for their injustice, uh, for their, their bad leadership. And then there's going to be some promises for, for future restoration for God's people. And so the first thing we see in chapter 3 is these, these unjust rulers getting denounced. So first he calls them to attention with a question. He says, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? So he's asking the rulers, shouldn't you guys know what, what justice is? So what's the answer there? Right? They're, they're the leaders of the people. Should they know what justice is? Yes, absolutely, right? They, they should know these things. They should be the ones that are teaching and leading other people into ways of justice. But we quickly find out that that's not the case. They, they hate the good and they love the evil. They're, they're doing the opposite of justice. They are, they are unjust. And then he uses this, this language of cannibalism. Talks about them like flaying skin, eating flesh. And I don't, I don't think that Micah here is saying that the leaders of Israel were, were literal cannibals. Uh, I think that what he's saying is that this, this imagery is used to emphasize the, the violently destructive nature of their injustice. Right? It wasn't just a, a passive thing. It wasn't not a big deal. The, the ways in which they were perverting justice were, were hurting people in Israel. People were dying. People were suffering because of their failed leadership. They, they might not actually be eating people, but, but they are devouring the people they're supposed to be leading through their unjust ways. So because of their evil, the Lord says he's not going to answer them when, he, when they cry to him. He's going to hide his face. And specifically in verse 5, he addresses the false prophets. They, they declare good messages when the people are providing for them, but when the people stop providing, they, they give bad news. It says that these false prophets are going to be disgraced. They're going to be put to shame. They'll, they'll be silent with, with no word from the Lord. But Micah, he's, he's not like that. It says he's filled with the power. He, he's filled with the spirit of the Lord. That's, that's who Micah is. He's not one of the false prophets. He has the spirit in him. And I, I know that we don't often think this way. But I think it's helpful for us to recognize that we are like Micah. You know, I think that, that sometimes uh, we have a tendency to kind of pedestal people in Scripture, right? And think like, oh, these people, people are amazing. We can, we can never do what they do. Like seeing Micah here opposing these unjust leaders, serving as a prophet of God, like he's, he's amazing. And, and certainly the, right, the people that we have examples of in Scripture are, are pillars of faith. They are examples for us to follow. But what we need to recognize here about Micah is, is that this description of him, him being filled with power and filled with the Spirit of the Lord, is also a description that applies to every single believer. 
Right? That's, that's one big way in which the age that we live in, because Christ has come, is different than the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit kind of temporarily empowering people for specific tasks. So Micah is empowered with the Spirit of God so that he can call out sin in Israel and Judah. But because we've trusted in Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, then he's put his spirit in you to stay. You are filled with power. You've been empowered and equipped so that you can live the life he's called you to live. That means, as one of his people, that he has gifted you. He has empowered you in ways that the people around you are not gifted and empowered. Because he wants you to use your gifts to serve the church and to minister in his kingdom for for your good and for his glory. And so when we see Micah described as, as full of power and full of the spirit of the Lord, we should think that's amazing that that's who Micah is. We should also remember that that's who we are. Not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And so don't Don't quench the spirit. Use your gifts. Fan the flame that he's put in you. Micah, specifically, was empowered to denounce the sins of Israel. So he goes back to talking about the sinful rulers. In verse 9, we find out not only are they unjust, but they they detest justice. They, they, they hate it. They deliberately make crooked what is straight. They, They go out of their way to create injustice. So this isn't a passive thing. They are, they are actively unjust. They're taking things that are good and they're making them bad. Judges, they accept bribes. Priests will, will teach what you want for a price. Prophets will predict your future for money. They're, they're using the positions that God has given them for injustice. This is who they are, and they they claim that the Lord is with them. They they claim that they're safe from disaster because they're they're God's people. They're Israel. They're Judah. Nothing's going to happen to them. But verse 12, we find out because of them, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. And it says, the mountain of the house, a wooded height. The mountain of the house here is a reference to the temple. He's saying that the temple is going to be destroyed so much. It's going to be taken down so far that it's going to be just like any other random building on a hilltop. Judgment is going to fall because of these unjust and unfaithful leaders. But in chapter 4, they get some good news. It says, in the latter days, things are going to change. Sometime after this, the, the mountain of the house of the Lord, which we just heard was going to be kind of destroyed, it's going to be established as the, the highest of the mountains. People are going to flow to it. Many nations are going to go so they can learn God's ways, so they can walk his paths. The word of the Lord is going to go out from Jerusalem. He's going to be the judge over the peoples and nations and, and war will, will end. They'll, they'll beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Instead, they'll, they'll each sit under their own vine and fig tree. No one is going to make them afraid. It says that even though some people walk in the name of other gods, even though some people are trusting in something other than the Lord, the people of God are the ones that are going to be victorious. They will, they will walk in his name forever and ever. In verse 6 of chapter 4, we find out how, how is this, this bright and happy future, how is this going to happen? It says God is going to gather his people He'll assemble the lame. He'll he'll gather those that have been been driven away and afflicted. He'll make them a remnant. He'll make them a strong nation. And he himself is going to reign over them as king in Jerusalem. 
This is what's going to happen. This is the, the future that they're headed towards. But before they get to that, there's going to be judgment. And so there are these these three judgment oracles which follow, starting in verse 9, that each begin with the word now. And what they're meant to do is they're meant to kind kind of jolt, kind of startle the people awake to see what's happening, to see what's what they're they're facing in the future. Um, So first, in verse 9, there's trouble. They're they're not in safety now. That that safety is coming, but now they're in turmoil. Their their kings are are so ineffectual, they might as well not be there. Their counselors have perished. It says they they writhe and groan like a woman in labor. Why? Why is this their situation? Because they're about to be exiled. They're going to go out from the city. They're going to dwell in the open country. They're going to be taken to Babylon. But exile isn't all bad news. There's a little bit of good news in there too. Eventually, eventually they're going to be rescued and redeemed. They're going to be brought back from Babylon. The next judgment oracle is in verse 11. Many nations are assembled against them. They have evil plans against Israel, but they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand his plan. They're going to come. They're going to attack Israel, but ultimately God is going to, is going to judge them for their actions against God's people. They are the ones that are going to have to be victorious in the end. Those nations are going to win that battle, but ultimately they'll be condemned for it. And then the third judgment oracle comes at the beginning of chapter 5. God's people are, are called to arms because siege has been laid against them. Their, their rulers have been struck down. This is kind of the end for them. But he tells us that there's a future leader that's coming. He's going to come from this, this little insignificant place called Bethlehem. It's, it's too little to be named among the clans of Judah, but there's a ruler that's going to come from Bethlehem that's going to, going to govern the people. He's from, from of old. He's from ancient days. And God's people will be subject to their enemies until this ruler takes his throne. And under his reign, God's people are going to return from exile. He's going to shepherd them in the strength of the Lord. He's going to shepherd them in the, in the majesty of the name of the Lord. And the result is that they will dwell secure with him because he'll be their king. He'll be great to the ends of the earth. He himself will be their peace. When enemies come, they'll be defeated because ultimately he is the one that's going to deliver his people. And this passage closes, chapter 5 ends, with, with a promise of deliverance for, for God's remnant and a promise of judgment for Israel and Judah. So first, the remnant. It says that God's remnant will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew, like showers on the grass, they'll be a blessing. So God's people are going to be many scattered in the world, but he's going to bring them back. And for their enemies, they're going to have victory over them in the end. And then he announces judgment for Israel, Judah, and the nations. He says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. So what's happening here is that he's going he's gonna to tear down their, their military and their religious idols. Everything that they looked to, everything that they trusted in, everything they put their hope in other than him is going to be taken away from their land so that the only option left for them is to turn to the Lord. And those who don't are going to face his judgment. 
This is what their future holds. Because of their sin, because of who they are now, God is going to pour out judgment on them. But, but after that, redemption is coming. Restoration is coming. There, there's hope even in the midst of, un, of impending doom. And so in this passage, I think we see two things. And it's, it's pretty similar to the things we've seen throughout the minor prophets. But the first is that God is going to punish sin. Right? In particular, in this passage, he's holding these wicked and unjust rulers to account for the ways in which they've misused their positions of power to, to oppress and mislead God's people. Right? They're going to be held accountable. But also notice that the people are going to be held accountable too. Right? They're going to be held accountable for the ways in which they followed these unjust leaders. They're going to be held accountable for their participation in the rebellion and the idolatry. But the second thing we see in this passage is that God is going to send a redeemer. Right? Despite the fact that they're rebelling against him, despite the fact that they're turning to anything and everything other than him, God still cares for his people. He still loves his people. He's still upholding his end of the covenant relationship he has with his people. And he's going to send the promised redeemer to bring them back, to restore them, and to rule over them as king. Right? He says specifically in this passage, we find out that this redeemer is going to be born in Bethlehem. Right? It turns out we can actually read this passage when it's not Christmas time. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. It says that he's going to bring his people back, back from exile. If we were to kind of keep following after the minor prophets, the the history of the Old Testament, what we would see is that God's people get back into the land and they rebuild the city and they rebuild the temple. But there's this, this sense in Israel that they're still waiting to come back from exile. They're back where they're supposed to be, but God's presence hasn't returned. Right? They're still, still waiting for him to come and, and, and subdue all their enemies. They were still waiting for it when Jesus came. And because they were looking for that, they, they, a lot of them missed him. But the reality is that Jesus came as this promised redeemer. He came to bring back God's people, back into God's presence, back into relationship with him. He came to, to free them from, from the tyrannical rule of their enemies, of sin, death, and Satan, to equip them in the fight against those enemies. Right? He's going to free them from, from the greatest enemies that they faced, even though they want political victory. He gives them spiritual victory. And he reigns over them as, as a kind and loving shepherd. Jesus is this, this promised redeemer we find out about in Micah chapter 5. Right? He himself is our peace. Right? Because he came, because he lived the life we couldn't live, because he died in our place, because he rose again victoriously over sin and death and Satan, we now can have peace with God. We now can have peace with one another. And so we get to read this passage, right? not looking forward to this distant future on the other side of judgment. We get to look back knowing that God sent Jesus. And while there are ways in which we're still waiting for that exile to end, 
right? To be back in God's presence in his fullness, for him to bring his kingdom in its fullness, right? We're still waiting for some of the promises to be fulfilled. The reality is we get to rest in the reality of this good news in ways that they could have only dreamed about. And so today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, I would encourage you to remember two things. First is that Jesus came. We know that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. God sent the promised Redeemer. And like we talked about last week, even though he died for our sins, he is alive. And because he's alive, he's able to send us grace and mercy and help in our time of need. So spend time preparing your heart to take the Lord's Supper. Um, Daniel's going to come and lead us in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do not take sin lightly. but that you want good for us as your children. And we thank you that you hold accountable those who who misuse the power that you've entrusted them with, those who, who lead others astray. We thank you that even when punishing sin, You don't leave your people without hope, but that you offer a way of redemption. You offer a way of restoration. You offer a way back from exile. That you don't just send your people away from your presence, but you provide a way for them to come back into it. And so we pray today that you would send your spirit to empower us, to to understand, to, to marvel at the grace and mercy and love you've shown us in Jesus. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.